today. Well, good morning, everyone. It is my privilege to be uh, sharing the word with you today, but um, why don't we just open in prayer before we get started? Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to gather around your word. And Lord, we just pray that um, the word that you send out will achieve what um, you intended to achieve. And Lord, that it would be for your glory and your honor. And Lord, we just thank you for the written word that you've given us and how you can speak to us um, from it each time we open our Bibles. So, Lord, we just thank you and we dedicate this service to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, as Matt said, um, I'm the secretary of the board. I work for the church and administration, and it's really a privilege to be up here. Um, My first time, so do bear with me. Um, But I'm going to be continuing today the series that Pastor Matt started a couple of weeks ago um, about being known by God. And he spoke about Abraham and the fact that he was a friend of God and really highlighted two points in Abraham's life where he had to step out and when he had to look up and remember the promises of God. So today we're going to be continuing in this um, theme of being known by God and we're going to be looking at Queen Esther. Now, if you've got your Bible, we're going to be reading from uh, chapters four and the start of chapter five. But before we get into it, I'm just going to give you a bit of a summary of the story up until this point so that you know what's going on. So the book of Esther, it opens with the king of Persia, King Xerxes, or your translation might say King Azuerus. Um, And he is just concluding a big show of his riches with a seven-day banquet. And at the banquet, he calls for his wife, Queen Vashti, to come and present herself um, to all of the guests. And actually, she refuses. And so the king, he asks his advisors, what should I do with her after she refuses my command? And the advice is that she should be stripped of her title and banished from the kingdom. So that's what happens. And then the king goes off to war. He comes back and he starts to look for a new wife. He sends out his servants throughout Persia and they are to gather all of the beautiful young virgins and bring them into his harem. And this is where we're introduced to Esther in um, her story. So she is an orphan Jewish girl who's been adopted by her cousin, Mordecai. And they are living in the Persian exile. This is a time period where some Jews have actually returned to Israel. They're starting to rebuild. But many, in fact, most of them stay behind in exile. And um, as she's living in Persia, the capital in Susa, uh, she's taken um, into the harem. She's very beautiful and um, she's exactly who they're looking for. So as she's taken under Mordecai's advice, she does not reveal uh, her Jewish identity. She keeps that hidden. Now we read in chapter two that she pleases Haggai, who's in charge of the harem, and she's actually promoted up the ranks as she's waiting to be introduced to the king. And when it is her turn, she takes the advice of Haggai and she gains the king's favor. And then she is made the queen. Now, as we continue with the story, we see the rise of a feud between the king's right-hand man, Haman, and uh, Esther's adoptive father, Mordecai. Now, Mordecai, because of his conviction to serve God, um, he refuses to bow to Haman, and Haman is all about the glory and the praise. So this really sets him off. In fact, he's so infuriated with Mordecai that he can't stand to just kill Mordecai, but he sets out to kill every single Jew in the whole of the Persian Empire. 
he actually goes to the king and he offers the king to pay 340,000 kilograms worth of silver into the treasury if the king will allow him to kill all of the Jews. And the king, in short, says, you can keep your money, but I'll let you do whatever you want. So he writes up a decree, it's sealed by the king's ring, and it goes out to the entire empire that on a particular day, the appointed day, they're going to um, kill all of the Jews and plunder all of their wealth. So as you can imagine, not only was the entire empire kind of shocked and confused because this is out of the blue, um, but all of the Jews are distraught and they begin their public display of mourning and grief. And this is where we're going to pick up in Esther chapter 4. So if you're reading along, it'll be on the screen as well. We're going to start from verse 6. And it says, So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa, to show to Esther and explain it to her. And he told him to instruct her to go into the king's presence, to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Hathak went back and reported to Esther everything that Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, all the king's officials in, and everyone in all of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends to them the golden scepter and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house that you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. You know, another translation says it this way, yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Now, has anyone had a for such a time as this moment? You know, this is a big deal for Esther. Imagine Queen Esther. She's looking back at her life up until this point. She's been orphaned as a child. She's adopted. But she's living in exile under foreign oppression. Then she's taken from her family to live in a harem, which is kind of like a jail. You know, she can't leave. Um, she's hiding her identity and she's living this secret life. And then, miraculously, she is promoted to queen. So just when things begin to look up for her, an edict comes proclaiming her destruction and she is told that she should risk death to try and save her people. Now, there is no way that she could have known or imagined that this is what her life would be, but God knew and there are no coincidences in God. I'm reminded um, when I was studying for my degree, I worked as a support worker um, in disability. And I remember I was going to my shift one day, it was Australia Day, and it's usually a 25-minute drive, but this day I got all green lights. Like it was the smoothest run I could have possibly had. I was going to be there in record time. But as I turned the corner into the street that my client lived on, I came across a group of people uh, standing on the side of the road and a man lying on the road. When I got out of the car, I quickly realised that the group were very intoxicated and the man had actually been hit by a car and the car had left. So um, he was not in a good way. I started CPR. Um, 
I got the friend to call for an ambulance and while I was speaking to them and waiting for the ambulance, he started to kind of come to. Um, so I continued with CPR until the ambulance and the paramedics arrived and handed him off and then I went on my way and would you believe that I knocked on my client's door right on time? You know, that is, in my mind, such a God appointment. You know, that when I was getting all the green lights, I had no idea what I would be coming to and that the time saved would be time given um, to someone else. You know, in Isaiah 46, 9 to 11, turn there if you've got your Bibles, it says this, Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. From the east I summon a bird of prey, from a far off land a man to fulfill my purpose. What I have said that I will bring about and what I have planned that I will do. See, God has placed us here in this point in history to do his will on the earth. Now, what would our days look like if we were constantly looking out for our for such a time as this moment? You know, who knows whether you have come to Brisbane for such a time as this yeah. or to your workplace for such a time as this? Who knows whether or not you have come to your position or your family for such a time as this? Now, I think sometimes we can look um, to the future and worry about our children, our grandchildren. What world are they going to have to grow up in? But, you know, God has appointed that they be born for such a time as this. Ephesians 2.10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know, the narrative of the Bible is a story of how God chooses to partner with his people to accomplish his will on the earth. Now, Esther was strategically placed in the palace for this very moment. But it was still her decision as to whether or not she would act. And this is the turning point in Esther's story. See, up until this point, she had acted on the advice of others. But now she is responsible for making a plan and following through. We're going to pick up the story again in chapter 4, reading from verse 15. So follow along if you've got it. This is Esther's reply to Mordecai. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her and he held out to her the gold scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. Then the king asked, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half of the kingdom, it will be given you. Now, so Esther, she presents her request to the king. She asks him to attend two banquets. Um, at the second banquet... Esther pleads for her life and the life of her family. Again, she is shown favour by the king. Haman and his whole family are executed and the king allows Mordecai and Esther to draft a new edict that allows the Jews to defend themselves when that appointed day comes. 
And they do. They defend themselves and they gain victory over their enemies. Salvation is achieved because of one person's willingness to defend others. You know, this is an awesome story. There is a lot in here. I encourage you to um, read the book of Esther this week and just marvel at God's hand um, over those people at that time. You know, we're focusing on this thought of being known by God. And Esther was known by God. So what can we learn from her example? I have four points that I want to walk us through. The first one is this. Esther humbled herself before God. In verse... um, Which verse is it? Oh, there we go. 15. Uh, Esther says, Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days. I and my attendants will fast as you do. You know, in uh, fasting, we see this example throughout scripture of it being paired with mourning and weeping and putting sackcloth on. It's a physical sign of turning back to God. You know, when we repent, um, we are saying to God, we're coming back. We are sorry, help us. You know, in Joel 2, it says, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all of your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. You see, fasting was a way for Esther to humble herself before God. It was an outward sign, again, of turning back to him. And now a natural consequence of humbling ourselves before God is then to yield all that he has given to us back into his hand. See, Esther had it all. She was the queen of the largest empire on the earth. She could have any physical possession that she desired. You know, she had servants, she had wealth, she had fame. There was nothing that she lacked. And because she had hidden her Jewish identity, there was a chance that she could have survived the genocide. But as she humbled herself, she realized that all of this was nothing compared to God, the creator. You know, she remembered that everything she had was a gift and she made herself willing to sacrifice everything to save others. You know, when we acknowledge that everything we have is from God, that he has given us our position our possessions, our influence, as we humble ourselves before him, our only response can be to offer it all back. In Psalm 116, it says it this way, what shall I return to the Lord for all of his goodness to me? As we humble ourselves at the foot of the cross, as we repent and turn back, what is our life that we can't give it up for Jesus? No, to be known and used by God, we must remain humble before him. The second point is this. Esther remembered God's unchanging character. In verse 13, Mordecai is reminding Esther, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. You know, she can depend on God's promise and his unchanging character. God's purposes will stand What he has planned will come to pass, whether we participate or not. God invites us in, not because he needs our help, but because he delights to work in partnership with us, with his creation, so that his glory might be revealed. Malachi 3.6, it says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. By remembering who God is and what he has promised, Esther remained firmly rooted in in her faith. 
You know, a few weeks ago, Pastor Matt shared an awesome sermon all about this topic called Building God an Altar. You know, practical ways that we can help ourselves to remember who God is, what he has done, his faithfulness to us, and how he's loved us. I encourage you, it's on our Spotify page. You can go back and have a listen to that one. But it's so important that we have these altars so we can look back and remember. You know, when problems arise, challenges, heartaches, what is our response? Are we able to remember who God is, what he has said, what he has done? You know, do we remember his faithfulness, his mercy, his grace? Or do we distance ourselves? Do we doubt God's love and his sovereignty or turn to others for support and advice? You know, to be known and used by God, we must remember his unchanging character. Number three, Esther chose self-sacrifice. Verse 16, it says, When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. If I perish, I perish. Esther has made up her mind. She has counted the cost. She knows what is at stake. And she decides to put her life on the line. No, there are no guarantees. Esther says she hasn't been summoned in 30 days. She fears that she's actually fallen out of favor with the king. There's a high chance that she could go in and be killed before she even gets a chance to speak a word. But Esther is resolved. She's willing to give up her life. And this is an incredible act of courage. Now, we know that Esther isn't killed. She does find favor with the king. But it's such a bold statement. Now, our call is likely not to risk death by trying to convince our husband not to commit genocide. (laughs) But we are called to a life of self-sacrifice. In Matthew 16, Jesus says to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. See, taking up our cross means denying ourselves and our pride and choosing the kingdom instead. Now, are we willing and courageous enough to sacrifice our life? Or maybe less intensely, are we willing and courageous enough to sacrifice our time, our pride, our resources? Now, before we can get to if I perish, I perish, we need to first get past if I'm embarrassed, I'm embarrassed. You know, the choice between self-preservation and self-sacrifice is not easy. It goes against our nature. We don't like to be uncomfortable. We don't want to choose to suffer. It is a courageous choice to be able to say, I'm willing to give up my life or I'm willing to give up my job. I'm willing to give up my time. I'm willing to give up my pride, my money for this conviction. Now, maybe the risk that you're being invited to take is to share the gospel with someone and if I'm embarrassed, I'm embarrassed. Or maybe the risk you're being invited to take is to reveal your Christian identity at your workplace and if I'm ridiculed, I'm ridiculed. Maybe the risk that you're being invited to take is to speak truth into a situation and if I'm rejected, I'm rejected. You know, Or maybe you're being called to sacrifice and give generously and if I don't have enough, then I don't have enough. Now, when we look at Jesus and try to follow his example, there is nothing that he was not willing to sacrifice for the sake of the kingdom. You know, he sacrificed time, he sacrificed physical comforts, he sacrificed sleep, I'm sure, 
And ultimately, he sacrificed his life to do what God called him to do. You know, to be known and used by God, we need to be willing to choose self-sacrifice. And finally, number four, Esther acted in accordance with God's general will. You know, the book of Esther is unique in that it doesn't record any direct communication between God and the characters. There's no vision, there's no prophet, there's no dream, there's no spoken word to Esther. But we can see the hand of God working behind the scenes. It's impossible, though, to say what or even if Esther heard from God directly. You know, sometimes we are faced with challenges or opportunities and we're waiting for God to reveal his big blueprint plan, but we don't get anything. You know, God doesn't always give us an answer. And if he does, it usually isn't the grand plan. You know, Esther decided that she would fast for three days and then go into the king's court. During these three days, I imagine Esther and all of the Jews in the city were praying and pleading that God would move on the king's heart and get him to summon her. You know, if the king summoned Esther, it would remove any threat to her life. She could speak freely with him. And we would call this, I guess, an open door or a sign of God's plan. You know, the king doesn't summon Esther, though. So she still sticks to her plan and she enters uninvited. You know, Esther acted in faith first. It wasn't until she was already there, standing in the court, that she found favour in the king's sight. Chapter 5, verse 2, we read, So it was when the king saw Esther standing in the court that she found favour in his sight. You know, it was Esther that putting her faith into action that allowed God to work through her. And we know that, yes, God moved on the king's heart. The word says the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. But she had to step out. She had to act for God to work his miracle. Now, God blessed Esther's plan because it was carried out in faith. Proverbs 16.3 says, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. You know, sometimes we are given an opportunity and it doesn't come with instructions. We then need to act in accordance with God's general will. Esther knew that it was not God's will for his covenant people to be completely destroyed. She knew that he loved his people and he would rescue them. Based on this understanding, she made a plan to act in the best way that she knew how that she could bring about God's general will of salvation. So how do we know God's will? By reading his word. God's will is clearly established in scripture. In Matthew 6, Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You know, if you start seeking the will of God, you read his word, you spend time in prayer, you spend time listening to the Holy Spirit and asking God to reveal his will to you, he will make it known. You know, we seek first the kingdom of God, your will be done. Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. You know, the only thing that we need to fulfill God's purpose for us is him. We don't need money, we don't need fame, we don't need certain skills. We just need the Holy Spirit working through us and in us and the faith to step out. You know, to take that first step, to go after the miracle We can't be paralyzed by the lack of an open door. You know, go up and knock and see what God can work through you. So how do we live for such a time as this? 
You know, God has called each of us for a purpose, something that he has ordained from the beginning. He knows us intimately. He knows everything about us. He sees the end from the beginning. But God chooses to partner with us to see the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Now, we are constantly living for the opportunity for such a time as this moment. But how do we respond? Now, we need to stay humble before God. We must be quick to repent and we must yield to him what he has blessed us with. You know, when we approach God in humility, that's when he can work through us. You know, less of me and more of you. Let uh, myself become less so that you can be more. We need to remember who he is. We remember his unchanging character. You know, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when we can look back on those altars that we've put up, you know, we can praise God for what he has done and who he is. You know, God's plan will be done as he has decided. And it's our choice whether to be part of it or not. When we follow Jesus' example, we see this played out in real life situations. You know, how can you outgive someone in your world? How can you outserve them? How can you outlove them? You know, how can you um, put others before yourself? And finally, we need to act in faith according to God's will. You know, by acting in faith in line with God's general will, um, we can see his kingdom come. If you don't know what God's will is, you can start with his word. You know, you can spend time in prayer, read um, the general story, the overview of the Bible. You know, God wants to reconcile himself to the world. You know, maybe you've been contemplating your next step or waiting for an open door when what you need to do is to step out in faith first and see God make straight the path ahead of you. Amen. I really hope that this has been an encouragement to you this morning. Um, and I'd love to um, just pray for you all um, as we close this and I hand over to Pastor Matt. So why don't you join me? Father God, we thank you for um, this amazing testimony of your power, your providence. Lord, that you see the end from the beginning and you have called us by name. Um, for a call that you have set in advance. And Lord, I just pray for everyone here, Lord, that they would um, lean into your, your call for their life. Lord, that you would just speak to them, encourage them. Lord, help them to make that first step. God, that you would um, give us a new revelation of your love for us. Lord, I pray that we would uh, be able to come humbly before you. Lord, that you would... Uh, just wrap your arms around us as we come back and we turn back. Lord, as we repent and we yield what you have given to us. And Lord, we know that you are sovereign over all things. Lord, your name is above all other names. You are our creator. You are the author. You are the per perfecter. So Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to partner with you, God, to see your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, we just pray that you would just build up our faith. Lord, that we would be able to share testimonies with each other. 
Lord, and give glory to you and honour to you. Lord, that you would just build us up. Lord, keep working. We want to be a willing sacrifice. Lord, we want to be used by you. So Lord, I just pray thanksgiving, Lord, for your what you're doing in us. Lord, what you're doing through us. What you are going to do through this church, Lord, through these people. And I just thank you and praise you. Um, for everything that you're doing. In Jesus' name.